morning and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint WDEV. I'm your Monday host, Brad Furlan, and I believe I'm going to be your Thursday host this week filling in, uh, so that'll be fun, an extra day. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, it was uh, now snow in Waterbury. It's I came from St. Ba- St. Albans this morning, and it was no snow, and closer I got here, this must be God's country or something. It's getting ready for the holidays. And, uh, I didn't put my sheep out this morning cause it was, uh, raining and I didn't actually feel like running down to the meadow with them. So I didn't do that on the weekend. My daughter and I went out and got a Christmas tree. Uh, my stomach's still bulging from Thanksgiving overeating. So it's sort of this, uh, whatever, you know, trying to get out back out into nature. So we've got a great show this morning. We're going to be starting um, in the first hour with the National Guard, first half hour with the the Vermont National Guard, second half hour with the Air Guard, Vermont Air National Guard. And then at 10 o'clock, we'll be talking with Kristen Gallagher, who is uh, the owner of the Dodge Farm, and they have a new processing, the Aurora Spinnery at the Dodge Farm. And, uh, my daughter and I were able to visit there and, uh, see the, see their operation. And we brought wool and we got some yarn back. It was very exciting. But I want to jump right in though. We've got, uh, Major Gary and Ford with the Vermont National Guard and Captain Michael Arkovich as well. Welcome this morning to the show. Morning, Brad. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having us. Well, uh, great to have you here. Um, Michael, I want to start with you a little bit with, you know, as I said, we've got the, the National Guard and then the Air Guard in this second half hour. Can you give me a little sense of that or listeners about that? Sure, yep. So, uh, every state has a National Guard and we, uh, Major Ford and I are both from the Vermont Army National Guard and then you're going to have the second half, you're going to have someone from the Vermont Air National Guard. So there's two, you know, there's two halves to the puzzle. Um, there's the Army side and the Air side with both distinct missions. There's the federal mission and then there's the state mission. And here in Vermont, um, as probably a lot of people know, we have, uh, on the Air side, there's the F-35 flying mission. Uh, and that makes up pretty much the entire, uh, presence of the Vermont Air National Guard. There's also cyber and uh, some, you know, staff at the headquarters. But for the most part, it's a F-35 flying mission and all the supporting elements that go into that. And on the Army side, uh, and I guess I should also caveat with that, the location is mostly in, in Chittenden County. That's where they're located. The Army side's a little bit different, um, and I can let Major Ford get into this a little bit, but the Army side is, you know, distinct and different from the air side, but we also work together, like with COVID or domestic responses like flooding. Um, we come together and, and soldiers and airmen work together to, you know, accomplish whatever the mission is for, for the state. Um, and on the Army side, uh, it's a little bit different. Um, we're scattered all over the state, and obviously it's a ground mission and not an air mission. Um, and some of our deployment cycles and a lot of the um, languages we use, I guess, uh, are different, even more so than, you know, the common understanding of what the military language is. Um, but every state has that. Every state has the Army side and the air side. And our, you know, the benefits to join are still the same for both. And a lot of the things like, like that, the, the joint aspects, as we would say, are, are very similar. Um, but they're definitely distinct and different. But we do wear the same uniform now. We're all in the, uh, the OCPs. It just says air on theirs and Army on ours. 
And you do, you fly a helicopter too once in a while, right? The, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. see these big army chopper going around. Sure, yeah. On the army side, we have um, we fly Lakotas and we fly fly Blackhawks. Our Blackhawks are it's all a medical mission, uh, and those most of those are all away uh, on deployment right now in uh, Central Command, but. We also have some Lakotas that are local. Those are, those are smaller, um, not uh, not quite as big with the big sliding doors that you would typically see. But, yeah, we have a flying mission as well on the Army side. Well, definitely a huge benefit to Vermont, all the, the rescue and everything that you do, the flooding, the COVID. It's amazing um, benefit to our state. Uh, Major Ford, you are part of an immediate response 25 uh, which I had not heard about until um, you were coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. So um, immediate response, if I can frame things just a little bit bigger, give everyone a little bit more background on this. So both in the in the Pacific um, Ocean and the in the European theater, uh, there's two large exercises that happen every single year. Um, they're under the umbrella called Defender. So you have a Defender in the Pacific and a Defender in Europe. So inside each one of those, we go a little bit smaller, and they have smaller series of exercises in them. And these are multinational exercises, not just the United States. Um, and they're sponsored by a U.S. Army command, but they're not just the United States Army. So inside Defender Europe, for example, there are three, three smaller exercises, um, usually around two to three weeks in length, and they all kind of butt right up against each other. And they represent different phases in an operation and how they would happen. So Defender Europe has a swift response as the first exercise that happens. And that focuses mostly on airborne forces. So we're talking um, the Alaskan Airborne Brigade 173rd that's currently stationed in Italy or the 82nd out of Fort Liberty, North Carolina. Um, those are usually the major training audiences there because the, there are global response forces where they can be anywhere, anywhere in the world um, in a very short notice. And then the follow-on from that is immediate response, which focuses on getting the next forces on the ground as quickly as we can that obviously are not going to be within one day. And then follow-on from there is a Sabre Guardian, which focuses more on heavy heavy equipment. So we're talking tanks, we're talking wheeled vehicles like strikers. Things are going to take a little bit more time to show up. So it's a force flow as to uh, um, if there were a conflict in Europe that needed to be addressed, um, how the United States and our allies and our partners there um, would respond. Because it's not a NATO exercise either. So there are non-NATO members um, that want to stay aligned with the United States and stay kind of on, on our side of the fence for some of this stuff, both economically and militarily as well. Is it all from scratch, so to speak? Do you have to move every tank and every um, bit of equipment when you get an alert, or do you have stuff housed in different countries? Yeah, so that's, that's actually a really fantastic question. Um, so, and I want to hit it in kind of two areas, right? So we have uh, training tasks that we have to validate on. Uh, we call them mission essential tasks, tasks we, that are essential to our mission. One of those is expeditionary deployment, which means take your stuff and your people and get from point A to point B, doing all the correct things. Um, so that's one of the things we do have to validate is taking some of our equipment with us. However, um, there is across the world um, Army prepositioned stocks. The Marine Corps has it. The Navy has it. The Air Force has it as well. Um, so strategically located across the globe are sec um, separate sets of equipment. Okay. So the first people on the ground, if they needed to, could draw, draw that equipment. 
or units rotating through for training like us will be able to go in and draw some of that equipment that is available. But of course, it's a finite resource. Um, and it's also, you know, using taxpayer dollars responsibly. We don't want to buy five sets of everything. Right. And then only use one of them. So if, uh, your listeners, if you're out there and it's onerous to pack the car to go camping, uh, it's, it's a little more difficult to put tanks and planes, I imagine. It's quite an operation, just the logistics of that. Oh, absolutely. So, um, our state mobility officer, um, has quite the job in our brigade mobility as well. So anything we pack has to get weighed. It has to be uh, the weight distribution inside in the storage containers, how they're shipped. And then we start talking about um, shipping any kind of like fuels, oils, anything like that, hazardous materials. Yeah. And then when you cross country lines too, um, you know some of the stuff, uh, agricultural washes, for example. Depending on which country you come in and out of, you have to clean vehicles to a certain specification before entering and then before coming back. Wow. It's, uh, we're talking this morning with, uh, Major Gary and Ford, who is with Vermont National Guard and Captain Michael Arkovich, uh, talking about the immediate response 25. If you have questions, want to join our, uh, program, we're at 802-244-1777. Um, so have you been involved with this, um, for quite a while now? And, and what is your role with, with, with the uh, immediate response force. Yeah, so I'm the brigade operations officer for the 86th Mountain Brigade. So I do a lot of the planning uh, going um, around the entire brigade. So in the last couple of years, we've done several of these. Um, so the first one was in 2022. We did swift response, and that was where we sent about 100 personnel to uh, to North Macedonia, which some people may know is one of our state partners with North Macedonia, Senegal, and Austria. So we were there for about three weeks. It was pretty fantastic, good field training exercises. Soldiers got to experience Europe that had never been there before, all expense played. It's pretty great. Um, then this last year, uh, we sent some more soldiers to Montenegro for a cold response 23. And then immediate response 23, we had some more soldiers in Slovenia as well. So really that Adriatic Balkan area is where we're pretty heavily involved in, um, in the Vermont National Guard. Amazing. We're talking uh, this morning with Major Garion Ford and uh, Captain Michael Arkovich with the uh, uh, Vermont National Guard. So Vermonters, uh, Major, what? How many Vermonters are involved in this, and and what what experiences do they get, and uh, where do they go? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, roughly right now, we're looking at a bit under a thousand Vermonters um, going to this. This is the largest the state of Vermont has ever done in its history on an overseas training event. Uh, big, big event. Glad to do it. We've gradually worked our way up to it. A lot of soldiers multiple times going overseas for training events like this. Um, as far as the location, so it's going to be somewhere in the Balkans right now. Um, it's still, you know, it's still 18 months out, roughly. Still trying to put the entire exercise together. And some of these things get shaped, you know. Um, it could. Some of it's probably going to be in Greece, some of it in Macedonia, some Albania, Bulgaria, Romania, um, maybe Kosovo. I mean, we just had some forces come back this last uh, year from Kosovo after spending about a year there. Um, and coming back through for another exercise could be fantastic for them. Uh, as far as experiences and things they're going to do, uh, well, we're going to do a lot of the same training we normally do. So we have a five-year training progression that the Army put in place uh, for the National Guard starting in 2006. So prior to that, the National Guard took roughly six months to mobilize to get out the door for an operation. And 
with some of these changes with a training progression like we've had before, you no longer have an 18-month mobilization for soldiers now like we used to. Six months on the front end, a year overseas, and then your demobilization process. That wasn't great for the Army. That wasn't great for the soldiers. Definitely was not great for the families. And so we started up a five-year training program. So in the first year... Currently, uh, new issuing equipment, anything that's come out since the last rotation, um, and individual training, and progressively growing and growing until that fourth year, which is what the year this will be for us, will be that final fourth year training year before our available year. So at this point, we would either go to uh, what's called a combat training center rotation. So we're talking about Fort Johnson in Louisiana, Fort Irwin in uh, California, at the National Training Center there or perhaps uh, Hohenfels, Germany, the Joint Multinational Readiness Training Center. But instead of doing that in this training year, where we have the same collective training that people continually rotate through, we're actually going to go do very similar training, but in multiple nations across Eastern Europe. So we'll have the same thing. There will be a, a dedicated opposing force for this. There will be instrumented things. So, you know, People think about like shooting laser guns back and forth kind of thing. That's how we assess um, while still using the same weapon systems. We're moving people across large spans of territory. So the same training they would normally get is going to be done in a separate location, though. So we're, we're meeting all of the all of the Army-directed readiness training metrics for that. And when you say training, it's not just combat. It's it's survival, too, right? You're, you may be in 90-degree weather or 20 below snow. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's one of those things is your adversary may not ju- can be the terrain, can be the weather. So typically whoever can whoever can operate the best in that terrain or in that weather and use it to their advantage is who wins. Um, that's something we're actually pretty good at here in the state of Vermont. We get a good four seasons. So we have a full four seasons. We can have frigid winters. We can have lots of snow, but then we also can have some hot and humid summers here as well. It really prepares our soldiers for a lot. Um, good opportunities, great training area. And then the person, personnel we draw to are also that hardy person, typically, where they're also used to this kind of life. Is that part in the recruiting process when you do the testing to get into the guard? Either of you can answer this. Is that part of it that you, you start fine-tuning that you might be a great um skier or fit for cold weather or or not necessarily a desk job but you're really the outdoors person uh so so as we recruit so like that's not something that's not a mandatory thing um we don't come in and we don't go uh to ski races in killington right now and grab the best downhill slalom right right um that'd be fantastic but that's not exactly what we do so someone can come in uh like me for example i had never i came from tennessee to vermont and i had not skied before I learned to ski here, and now I ski here. It's one of those things. Um, I actually love the winter up here. I'm kind of crazy for saying that, probably, um, especially coming from an area where it may be dusted in the in the in the uh, winter. But we don't, you know, we we will build someone from a low to no skill level um, up to a much higher progression there. So getting back to uh, the immediate response 25, is this relatively new, and is this sort of like? Uh, added protection for for the global world based on U.S. Um, sort of needs, or, or is it go beyond that? Yeah, so one thing about the United States is we, we don't like to fight alone. 
we like to be on the side of right, the side of majority kind of thing. Uh, we fight in coalitions is what we try to do. Um, and also, we like to assist in the security of other nations in being able to secure themselves and not having to fall under the umbrella of someone else. So, like I talked about before in the Pacific and in Europe, uh, long before anything kicked off in Europe um, with the Ukraine invasion, um, these exercises were already happening. Um, and they have continued to happen afterwards. It's just uh, it's reinforced kind of what we in the United States have pushed as a message that everyone needs to be ready. Um, the world is a very dynamic area where things continually change. And the United States is is here, but the United States is not everywhere. And the more interoperability we're able to build between uh, between nations with similar similar goals and similar values, uh, the more of a coalition that can stand on its own is going to benefit the world. And what is the uh, coordination with military command? If you're in a given country, are you in charge of your own army or are you, is it simultaneous with, with other uh, military leaders? So I was on the mission that in Kosovo that Major Ford was talking about, and that was... Um, this is just an example. That was a NATO mission. So there are certain countries that are NATO members and some that aren't. This was all the Kosovo mission is all countries that are part of NATO. In that example, because it can vary greatly, but in that example, um, the command for the entire Kosovo force was by a Hungarian. Huh. And then regional command east, which is where we were located, was commanded by the U.S. So that's like the, the echelon down. So when he refers to brigades, K-4 was the division level, and then regional command east was effectively the brigade level. And then there was a regional command west that I believe was, excuse me, commanded by Italians. So the command structure kind of breaks down, you know, like depending on what echelon or what level that, that you're at for like these joint and multinational exercises. But I can't speak directly to uh, uh, media response. Uh, I, real quick, if you want to hear a little few more details. So just in the United States um, building these capacities and ensuring and helping and this interoperabilities, uh, for example, the, the core headquarters, if you will. So that's above a division, above a brigade. It's two echelons above us. Um, is actually going to be a combined core with the German and the Dutch. It's actually in charge of that. Wow. And then underneath that, you're going to have a National Guard Infantry Division headquarters from Pennsylvania. And then the Vermont National Guard 86 Mountain Brigade is the main training audience for this. And then underneath us right now, we're anticipating several multinational battalions. Um, and for reference for the listeners that uh, I'm going to kind of explain what those are. So a battalion can be anywhere typically between like five and seven hundred people. A brigade can typically be around four thousand people. A division, when I say that, is typically from sixteen to twenty thousand. And then a corps will typically have about four of those divisions underneath it. Wow. Wow. A lot of coordination for sure. Uh, it intrigues me, the leadership part of it. Uh, it you must have to do your own thing with your own leaders, but then you're you're listening to somebody above you. It, it's complicated, I'm guessing. Yeah, common goals, uh, common vision, go a long way. Um, the way that most, the way that nations work together um, is obviously done at a national level coordination. Um, I don't do it independently with someone else. I don't make foreign policy. 
Um, but the way that we coordinate are done through treaties and agreements at a national level. Um, it's not the first time either. So when you look, I mean, World War One, World War Two, Korea, the UN action there, um, yeah. you had the same thing going on with multinational forces um, in Desert Storm. Um, all the way in previous history, we have fought this way. So to to the to the army, to the armed forces as a whole, it's not really a new concept, um, but it doesn't make it any less complicated uh, than it is. We've got uh, about a minute and a half left. We're talking with Major Gary and Ford and Captain Michael Arkovich. The uh, Major Ford, do you stay stateside? Is that your job, and and you help coordinate people to go out, or do you actually go overseas as well? So that that kind of depends. Uh, so in 2022, swift response that I mentioned earlier, I went with that one because I was in the battalion at the time that went and that planned it. In 2023, in Montenegro and Slovenia, I did not go on those, and we planned it and supported it from here because we sent smaller elements. Um, either myself or whoever will be doing this job later is going to be going in 2025 to this exercise. Huh. You looking forward to that? Absolutely. I, I had a great time. Um, if anyone gets a chance, I highly recommend going to North Macedonia. Fantastic place. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, we're talking uh, this morning with Major Gary and Ford and Captain, Captain Michael Arkovich about the uh, immediate response 25. Sort of brings back, you know, the history lesson of a more global security for the for the world. Is that really the goal? It is. Um, a peaceful and prosperous world, I think, is a common value by by most nations. It's a goal we all kind of strive to. Uh, the more we can achieve through joint action, uh, I think the better off everyone and every nation is going to be through that. And uh, the National Guard in Vermont, highly regarded, highly respected. You're the best of the best. This is what we know, and we're very proud of all the service that um, you bring, not only here locally, but as we heard this morning, globally. So we thank you for that. Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, appreciate you having us on. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful having you. Uh, it's been uh, Gary and Ford and Captain Michael Arkin Arkovich talking about immediate response 25 and, you know, what's local. Uh, we're going to be uh, coming up is uh, Sergeant uh, Sani, who is with the uh, Vermont Air National Guard, and he's going to talk about being a new American. Uh, this is Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV, here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. We'll be back right after this. Good morning, and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, we're going to be talking shortly with uh, Sergeant uh, Senior Airman uh, Sani with the Vermont Air National Guard. He'll be calling in this morning, uh, so as soon as he calls in, we'll uh, we'll bring him on the air. Uh, I think that should be shortly. Uh, blustery day here in Waterbury. Uh, come came down from St Albans, and uh, it was raining in St Albans, and there's like four or five inches of snow on the sidewalk out out there and uh it's a little bit uh it's winter uh winter in vermont i had uh a nice uh 
quiet weekend getting a Christmas tree with my daughter. We went to the same place that we have been going for the last, for I've been going for the last 30 years. And uh, so it uh, looks like we have our uh, next guest on the line. Uh, this is Senior Airman uh, Sani. Welcome to the show. I'm Staff Sergeant, sir. Staff Sergeant. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, uh, welcome, welcome this morning. Nice morning. to have you here. Yep. Uh, How so are you? I'm very well. And and just for background, uh, I travel through Fairfax quite a bit, and am quite right. familiar with your uncle's store. And I love that store, oh. and I love the food that comes out of that store. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. Next time, stop by when I'm there. Yeah. Well, it's uh, the it's so friendly there, and so welcoming, and the deli, and then the special nights where there's uh, a curry chicken dish with rice is so fantastic. So (laughs) thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Most welcome. Most welcome. So so, um, one of the things that I saw in preparation for the show is is, uh, Mm -hmm. something called The New American. And um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that series and, and your involvement and getting involved with the guard yeah so actually i uh it's a it's a quite a nice journey for me to be a part of uh, vermont Air national guard like uh, i came in the united states in 2016 and uh, uh to my uncles and i've been like um i was like I was working there with them, helping them around, and uh, suddenly I see one of the guards members. She retired as a chief. Her name was uh, uh, Chief Fitzgerald. Um, I saw her like, you look so good in a dress. Uh, like, why don't you wear it? It's like, can I? I was like, can I wear that dress? Like, yes, of course. You will. And uh, it's like someone will call you soon. So one of the recruiters, his, I won't forget his name. His uh, name was Jesse Renslow. And he called me and uh, he did my interview and uh, he took me. To, I, gave, I gave my ASVAB test and I was selected. And that's how it started. <laughs> so just you saw the uniform, somebody coming through the store. And, right. Uh, and then... Um, you, part of your journey was also to become an American citizen as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. That was uh, that was the reason I joined too, and uh, because I, before that I was like on a temporary green card, and uh, and this was introduced me, and I got a citizen that time, and very few few people know that, that uh, being a guardsman, being a drill status guardsman, or Working with Air National Guard or Air Force or any military uh, service, you can have a citizen. You can become a citizen. You a citizen, and because right, I'm telling you, that it is pricey. Like you have to pay almost twelve hundred dollars from your pocket to become a citizen. Like it's a fee for USCS charge. And being a guardsman or um, as a working with a U.S. Air Force or any military service is totally free. I didn't pay any single penny from my pocket. Wow. And is it uh, difficult to study f- to become an American citizen? I know it's quite a lengthy um, test. 
did that take a lot of time and effort to achieve for you? No, to be honest, it was not bad. Like, um, I have a good education background where I came from. Like, uh, I have a computer science engineering degree with me um, when I landed in the United States. Um, um, but uh, the test is not that hard. Like, uh, they give you, like, 10 questions and you have to answer them right away. Now, it might be a different when I became a citizen. It was in 2019. Uh they they keep changing, but the questions are like they come with a booklet you can uh, download from USCS website, or you can stop by their uh, field office or any other office, and you, they can provide you a booklet. You have to go through the booklet. Uh, basically, it's very interesting. You should know exactly what America is, what the foundation stones are of America, and uh, which is like very important for every citizen. Like, they should know the number of states. They should know the capitals. At least you should know the governor of your your state, right? I have a feeling that you may know more U.S. history than I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no. But, I, it's, it's good to read about it, to be honest. Like, uh, yeah, uh, how how it was uh, made, uh, what are different, uh, uh, like, uh, like, different wars are fought. Uh, it's quite interesting. It is very interesting. So you yeah. um, you met this uh, person who's in in the guard, and then you uh, sign up and you take a test, I think, to to get into the guard. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. Like every single member, um, they have to do ASA, which is a kind of aptitude test, which is uh, which is it's not that difficult to be honest. Uh, if you study thoroughly. Like if you put your effort, like if, like you you can go through it, and uh, there are certain criteria, like certain jobs which you have to uh, gain that much score to be qualified for that job. Like there, I would say there's like n opportunities in in U.S. Air Force. And did you have your sights? Did you have your sights on a particular um, job in the beginning, or did you sort of learn as you went and got more attracted to something? Actually, uh, I had a computer science background, so I always wanted to do something related to computers, like cyber operations with that kind of job. But when I joined Air Force, uh, I was not a citizen, and although my ASDAP score was above 80, which was, I was calling for every single job in the United States Air Force. Uh, but the problem is that I was not having a clearance. So I was given a few opportunities that time. But yeah, the people who are here, like who are American, who are born here, like coming out of uh, the high schools, they had like tremendous, they're like a lot of opportunities. All they need is to go there and see how amazing it is and they can make the best out of it. Very exciting. We're talking with Staff Sergeant Sani. Uh, he is with the Vermont Air National Guard. Um, a was recognized as a, a new American from India. Uh, how was uh, how has that been um, as a new American in in the Guard? Have you felt welcomed and 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 really part of everything? Oh my God! Honestly, such a I would say. It was such a respectable thing I did 
and uh, I'm thankful to every single person who has supported me so far. Because I would say Vermonters, Vermonters are so nice. They are wonderful people. A lot of people helped me out in doing this. I thank all those people who helped me so far, especially uh, there was an old gentleman who I met in the store. His name was Bob. He's still uh, there. He, and we met at Minuski. He went all the way to the recruiting office for me. Like, here, there's a guy. He wanted to join Air Force. He's a veteran, actually. And uh, and you should look for him. And they, that's how we connected. And uh, they're like, I would say, it's, it's uh, as a, I, I remember one thing I just want to tell you. So I didn't knew that, like, when I joined the Air Force, I went to a basic military training, right? And when we finished the training, because you get isolated for that long time, right? Yeah. Because the training is good, intense, in between, like, yes, uh but uh, I remember when we came to the airport, all those, uh, as a young airman, we came back to airport to fly back to our base. And a uh, lot of people, I remember it was uh, in Texas, and people just just stand up and salute and clap for us. Like, they give us such a, a round of applause. Like, thank you, thank you for your service. Thank you. It, it felt so good, so good seeing those kind of people who came forward and thanking us, like, what we do. And uh, I really appreciate them, to be honest. Thank well, you. I want to echo that, too. And I think it's one of the most emotional experiences to see uh, people of the military coming home and their children welcoming them and all of that. But I also want to thank you. You you stepped up to serve, and and that's so commendable. So we appreciate what what you're doing now and being a role model for others to, to do the same. Really appreciate that part. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're talking with Staff Sergeant Sani uh, with the Vermont Air National Guard. Uh, he was part of uh, something called the New American uh, Series, where he was featured as someone who uh, he came from India. And so, um, Staff Sergeant, when you immigrated to the United States and then um, became uh, a, an American citizen, what does that mean in terms of going back to India? Do you, can you do that freely, or or what does that mean? Uh, actually, um, I gave uh, so I cannot hold two citizenships. Uh, that's the law of India. If I gain any other country's citizenship, I have to uh, I have to um, surrender my citizenship of India. That's what I did. Uh, although I can go, I have a. Uh, families over there, I have friends over there, so I, we have a nice house there, back in India, and uh, yeah. So, I, so you can freely and, return. That's not a problem. Yeah, but completely return. I, to be honest, I never thought of going back. Yeah. That yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, but if I can, if I want to, yes, I can. So we, um, I think. We often take uh, for granted things that we have, you know, when I always think about looking out the window to, you know, to Mount Mansfield or Camel's Hump driving on the interstate, the beautiful things that we have here in Vermont. But you, you're you at a new 
a, a, a greater level of appreciating a whole country. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, uh, yes, I would say like uh, to be honest, uh, I went to a different places around the United States. Vermont is the best place to be. It's very peaceful, nice people, beautiful scenery. Love the way uh, we respect each other. It's so easy. Like my parents, uh, they are they were here. They recently went back, and they were treated so nicely by the, all the people. Every time my mom she go out for a walk, she doesn't have to worry about someone hitting her. Or uh, there's like I haven't seen any crime to be honest here in Vermont. I really appreciate that. Mm. And uh, people are very generous and helpful. If you are walking around, and I live in Fairfax, uh, if someone is walking around on the road, they stop and ask, like, hey, are you okay? Is something wrong? We can help you with it. And I never saw this kind of thing anywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere in the United States. Which so, amazing, amazing. So good to hear. Yes. And what is the commitment that you have with the Vermont Air National Guard? Are, are you, is this a, a five day a week thing or, or do you have other things going on? Yeah, like, uh, you, you can, that's a beauty and a benefits, uh, I would say, uh, of Vermont Air National Guard. They are different jobs and, uh, you can do a part-time job. You are, you can do a full-time job. And uh, which is amazing, you can do your civilian career also with that, which is uh, another good thing. And what um, can you tell us a little bit more about what your job is now? And do you have visions of it changing? Do you have aspirations for other things that the guard, the air guard offers? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm actually the human resource specialist in uh, FSS, which is a force support squadron in Vermont Air National Guard. Uh, we basically are um, the HR of a company. Like, um, we basically do the HR for Vermont Air National Guard. We are, uh, and, and the starting of the person's career, we do promotion awards decoration like IDs, retirement, retention, providing information about life insurance, tri-cares. And a part of that, we almost run like 40 to 42 programs in um, basically in the Vermont Air National Guard. And uh, yes, I have inspiration to to um, switch the job. I wanted to do cyber operation from a long time, and I'm currently working on transferring to uh, to my new job. So um, I have to do some testing before that. So, yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, but the opportunity is there, is what you're telling us. Yes, 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 yes. I would say I can say this loud and proudly, and uh, we can talk about this like hours and hours, like how big is Air Force and how many opportunities are in Air Force. Like you can do a lot of things from you can, if you like carpentry, you can do that. You like uh, plumbing, water. Uh, if you want to do something related to computers, you can do that. Uh, like if you do welding, works on airplanes, avionics, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. And you, uh, cybersecurity is something on your um, horizon, hopefully. Uh, did you ever have a, a dream of, of flying a, a jet or not? 
<laughs> yes, when I was a kid, yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, uh, right now it's uh, maybe the priorities have changed. So yeah, back yes, I would I won't deny that. To be honest, such a proud like when we see uh, every single person working in the air guard, they are are making that jet fly. I would say so. The contribution it's not about uh, the pilot flying. Yes, he's flying, but every single member behind or below in the ground duty is the effort of those person that make him fly the plane. So it's anyways like anyhow. If you're working anywhere in the air force, you are helping someone to fly. Yeah, <laughs> plane, wow. So pretty much. And does it become like a family to you? I know you have family here in Fairfax, but does does the Air Guard become like a family as well? Yes, yes. Like I love the people with uh, uh, that I work with, and uh, trust me, like I had never found those kind of environment ever uh, in in the world so far because I came from India. I worked over there as well, and uh, here is amazing. It's so easy, and uh, they are so. Our leaders are so nice. They are. They hear us. To be honest, that's the big thing. If your leader hear you hear your problems, hear your goodwills, and uh, help you with any resources which you want in accomplishing uh, your career and uh, the goal. That's what you want in, the, in, in your work, I would say. And, and I can, you cannot find this kind of culture anywhere. And we know each other so well, our supervisors, our leaders, they, we uh, talk, they know our families, which is uh, every time we go there, we talk about our families, our kids, and all those things. Uh, I guess this is like uh, my, I would say like more of the family, I would say. The, we were talking with Staff Sergeant Sani, who is with the Vermont Air National Guard. We only have about a minute left, Staff Sergeant. Uh, one of the quotes I saw that you, you said was the best part you are free. Freedom, that's the best part of being an American citizen. Can you briefly just uh, echo that? Yes, I would say the freedom. Uh, oh, uh, yes, America itself is a freedom. Like when we talk about America outside the, outside the America, that's what it is, like freedom. That's the country we are. Like that's how uh, we stand for. That's our aim. I would say you can do tremendous. They have tremendous opportunities. I would say one more thing. Like uh, when we talk about freedom, it's Americans that made it possible. Our forefathers, our founding people who were here before us, we respect that and uh, let the American fly. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, uh, Staff Sergeant Sani, and uh, I hope to see you in Fairfax. And uh, sure, sure, uh, most welcome. Uh, and, <laughs> and thank you for your service and for being a proud part of the Vermont Air National Guard. Thank you, thank you, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint WDEV. We will be back right after this.